This week on LSB32, we sit down with Dave Olson to discuss generating inspiration and upgrading your heroes. All right. So um, thanks so much for coming in to, uh, to talk with us this week, Dave. It's, uh, like I said, I was so inspired by your talk at uh, the Island Tech Conference a few weeks ago. I was really looking forward to kind of bringing you in and you know getting this, some of this stuff on camera because I think there's probably a lot of people that may not have seen you talk or may not know who you are, and I, I think yeah. everyone should should hear what you have to say. Yeah, I kind of keep hibernating it a little bit. I only <laughs> bust the, the talk out at, at the, the gig in Victoria at Island Tech. It was really the third time I'd given that, more or less that same talk, but those three appearances are spread over two and a half, two and a half years. Yeah. And, and that was a little bit of a different audience because there was a lot, of, a lot of suits in that audience. Yeah. And I was like, oh, geez, are they going to laugh me out of here? <laughs> but uh, fortunately, we hit our stride and it went all right. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, so this week, I, I found... Um, some of the stuff that I really kind of took away from that talk was um, a lot of what you had to say about inspiration. And I know personally, like, um, as I was kind of telling you um, in the kind of precursors to this, um, was that like, I find like I've been on kind of a, a bit of a personal journey lately about um, trying to think about ways about like how I generate inspiration and how I can really harness that power and, mm -hmm. um, you know, really find ways that I can kind of tap into that on demand instead of having it be something that kind of it comes when it comes and um, I found you had a lot of really great things to say about how to kind of harness that power and, and be able to kind of generate that stuff on demand. Well something I've thought about a lot because I've gone from so um, from you know making creative projects ever since I was a kid where you have lots of time to do stuff to doing stuff you know my teens where it started to feel like oh, I got where you start to self-impose deadlines and start to put pressure on yourself yeah as soon as you put pressure on yourself the creativity is that much harder to, totally. to foster and, and identifying that and then you know once I got in my 20s I spent a lot of time hitchhiking and following the Grateful Dead and I had lots of downtime to be like oh I want to write some poetry man I'm gonna just like walk in the hills for two days and sit around the campfire maybe trip out and, yeah. you know and there's all these ways that you can you know from excess and time that you can kind of reach that point but you know now that I'm an older dude and I got a day job and a family and and you can't you can't really afford that time yeah. but it, there's still these ideas that you want to pull out so I started to really identify or you know what are these things that get me to that point where the content starts coming out rather yeah. than being stuck over here where you know, there's that conundrum of the blank page syndrome what do I do next I'm feeling uninspired and burnt out because I mean, my goodness, do it. I, I know what the burnout feeling feels like yeah. uh, from, you know, the end of the day, you've ridden the bus home, all you want to do is sit around the fire and, um, and, and, and relax. But at the end of the, you know, if you do that too much, then you start losing what it is that you have. So I started to identify a few things that for me were the things that kind of put me into that, that groove to, to create, to, you know, to make my art. That is environment, it's really key. And I always find a place in my house that I set up as a studio space. You know, it doesn't have to be stunning, but the important thing is that you have um, a sense of comfort there and surround yourself with things that jog the memories from where you were and what you were. Because there's all these times that you're like, wow, if I can always remember this, I'm totally like, I'm gonna, down the road, I'm gonna, and all these little things. And it's a lot of ephemeral objects like ticket stubs and, and you know, from events or travel or 
stuff I picked up off the ground, found objects, yeah. or an ad that I tore out from a magazine in some country and stuck in a thing. Yeah. Somehow for years it survived. It's sort of like sending little messages to a future self. And then I get to a point where I arrange them in binders and I, I flip through them and sometimes they don't make any sense. But three years later I'll look at the same thing and go, oh yeah, okay. Or, you know, it's kind of surrounding yourself with source material. Yeah. And then uh, the next thing I do, it's like, um, you know, there's always this situation you sit down and it's like that blank canvas, that blank page and to break through that rather than sitting there and staring at it and trying to force my way into it is uh, I, I grab my hat and my scarf and I head out into the woods try and bring a notebook along or else I, uh, you know, I do a lot of audio recording uh, and so I'll take my little audio recorder with yeah. me and I'll go out there with some medium or another and it really doesn't matter as long as you have some way to fiddle um, and it's a way of kind of connecting your subconscious with your hands and trying to bypass the, the, the conscious self-evaluative with thought which is stuff like oh, my, you know, I, my day job, I, I, I gotta get that done, my huge tax bill, I got, you know all these things you have to bypass here, get it right to your hands totally. um, and to kind of build up a little sense of trust with yourself and once that happens, bam man, the next five hours doesn't even exist because you're floating on air just making tons of stuff and yeah. this kind of led me to a sense that you know, there's, there's that old saying about uh, success comes from 10% inspiration, 90% perspiration, the old Protestant work ethic, yeah. you just got to grind through it and I was like wow that's totally not how it works for me man, it's like I can perspire all I want but that doesn't get me you know, yeah. very far so I really put together my own formula which is about 80% meditation and this is, you know, I'm not sitting on the, the hill with the bagwan, you know. Um, you know, this is walking in the woods, this is clearing my head to think about it. And this also happens on the bus, you know, riding on the sea bus where I can just shut my brain down and there's nothing I can do, per, you know, so I'm just going to think about what I'm going to make. That combined with 10% uh, um, execution, the actual, the actual time I spend making the stuff, putting the words on paper, is a fraction of the time that I spend thinking about it. By the time totally. I sit down to write things, I know exactly where I'm going to go. I, I have little signposts put up in my head mentally where I can see down the road, but all that fill-in space, that's, that's, where the, that's where it happens, right? Yeah. And then, uh, um, and then the, the, the last 10%, I, I call it inebriation, <laughs> but really what that is is pushing yourself to your limits and getting, you know, I hate to say getting out of your comfort zone or whatever, but... Um, pushing yourself to see things that you wouldn't normally see. And this is the part in a lot of artists' lives that drifts up to a significantly too big of a percentage, yeah. and people start to really get into self-abuse, and um, it becomes that, you know, I can't write a song without, you know, using yeah. heroin first or something yeah. like that, and, and God bless all those people who made that sacrifice to make great music, but I wish it, they could have found a, an easier way to do that. Totally. But it, really, that is, um, I think great art is made on that ragged edge of, of mental comfort sometimes. Totally, totally. I think probably like people around my age are kind of some of the the earliest kind of generation to, to really grow up in like a really truly digital age and yep. one of the things that I've been seeing with a lot of my peers and people who are kind of my age or younger is that they be there people seem to be so focused on like now and what's next and I don't really find that in like these new generations, there's a whole lot of like reflection or interest in kind of necessarily going out and experiencing all that the real world has to offer. Um, I think like Japan is kind of a prime example of this, how in Japan it's it's actually kind of common now for to have these, you know, young adults that literally spend their whole lives, you know, 
interacting with people through like Facebook and like MySpace and you know Second Life and World of Warcraft and stuff. And I just find there's such immense value to to going out and experiencing things in the real world and and there's just so much kind of tangible inspiration that you can grab even mm. from just going out into the street and, and like you said picking up you know peeling a poster off a wall oh, yeah. or you know <laughs> finding a newspaper article that's like tumbling down the street you know there's all that stuff is yeah. is I find so much amazing inspiration and in all that yeah no doubt about it and what I do see is reflection for the recent past there's a little bit of resurgence for like Xerox culture yeah. You know, Xerox fanzine culture, cassette tape culture. You know, looking 20 years ago is kind of like this uh, nostalgic thing, but I think that's all you always see that. You know, in the, yeah. in the 90s, we were looking at the 70s. Totally. In the 80s, it was all about 60s revival. So it's just sort of bumping by, and like, you know, all of a sudden you see this 80s, a little bit of an 80s revival right now, which <clears throat> kind of drives me a little nuts having uh, ex already experienced that decade <laughs> yeah. in all its glory. But uh, um, but there's not this, this sense of reflecting to. Uh, old and classic times, because I don't, th and I think that starts with an educational, a broken educational process. But I'll save that rant for another time. Yeah. But also looking outside of the world, and and you know, and uh, when I was in my late teens and early twenties, it was all I could do to, what country's next? How am I getting there, man? I don't care if I arrive. Like I arrived the first time I arrived in Europe, I dropped into Amsterdam. I was 21. I had 220 dollars. And no return ticket, and this was pre-eurozone, you know, pre-ATMs. Yeah. And uh, and I just hopscotched and hard scrabbled my way around, and and the crazy stuff happened, you know, where a year later I had made my way back across the southern U.S. and ended up in Japan working in a mushroom farm, right? And but it was like everyone I knew was all about traveling, and and maybe it was from where I grew up or the people I I, I circled with, where, but it was all about seeing what was out there somewhere else. But I think part of, and I don't see that near as much now where people are dying to travel, people go on vacations, but, but just to go on a walkabout, you don't yeah. see as much. And I think part of that is because there's not as many secrets out there anymore. Um, you know, you want to see what it looks like in some other place, and you think you know you can get to know it by inter having these interactions, but until you put yourself completely and test yourself, how am I going to eat my next meal? How am I going to get from this place to this place? How am I going to ask this person where the toilet is when I've been in Japan two days and I don't even know what konnichiwa is, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and really pushing yourself and seeing what you're made out of that way, that's really what like uh, what toughened me up, you know, and like uh, kind of steeled me for um, other challenges. You know, like, uh, yeah, when you're on the side of the road wondering what's going to happen next, man, you, you have a lot of time for introspection and you gather up a lot of... Um, Creative, in, uh, creative material fodder to to churn into something. Yeah, it's you almost know, like your internal kind of library in a yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You're almost kind of like documenting experiences internally, and and kind of saving them for later. I yep. Guess. Yeah. Uh, notes to a future fridge. self. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good way. And to put and it. a lot of times, like even this trip to Europe that I'm mentioning, like I have the notebook from that that I actually wrote the things down, and. Um, and it slowly is still, it's just making itself into released work now, you know? It just takes a lot of time for these things to ferment on a shelf. And I, I consciously did that of collecting and experiencing it because I didn't want to be someone who wasn't engaging in where I was and what I was doing because I was documenting it. I didn't want to meta-document my life. I wanted to gather inspiration, jot down enough and, you know, fill in those white spaces with stuff and then let it sit on a shelf and ferment until I could 
contextualize it and see, you know, and mm -hmm. you know, sometimes at the time when you're doing things, everyone around you is doing a similar thing. You know, I'm in Europe at Oktoberfest. Yeah. So is everyone else around me. So what's the big deal, right? Yeah. But for the people who have never experienced that, or they only see travel shows with like, oh, go here and pay, stay at this yeah. hotel. When I like, you know, was had slept in a cornfield, got a ride the next day in a brand new Porsche uh, 911 with the target tops off, going 240 kilometers down the autobahn, yeah. and getting dropped off at Oktoberfest and finding nothing but drunk Australians, you know, there's all this backstory there that doesn't really come up in, you know, your your travel program. Yeah. And but the whole point is sharing these stories is to spark other people to realize that their lives have value no matter how mundane their daily routine is. You know, and this is something that I've learned from a lot of the writers that I really I'm huge fans of, you know, even a guy like Jack Kerouac wrote about this, my day on my job working as a railroad brakeman, but he transcended that from documentary to, to art. You know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau writing his confessions where he documented everything. And, it, you know, granted his motives were a little sensational, you know, sensationalistic, but, or Samuel Pepys, the, uh, you know, living in the Victorian England as a, you know, Navy officer and a gentleman and all this. And he was writing his lurid, yeah. misdemeanors in uh in in a code that and in in beautifully built books and stashing them and he was the only reason he was doing that is so we could learn about this now mm -hmm. and as a result we have the most amazing documentation of victorian england besides the sanitized version that's been passed down through yeah. official channels you know it's, it's kind of like the sense of a people's history but it goes beyond history and it's it's a uh it's uh, it's it's people's documentation. It's their personal art. It's them making their lives into a, an art because they've given that conscious thought to it. They put in that meditation, the execution, and the inebriation or whatever, and and they bundle that that in into something, um, and 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 didn't, done a, uh, you know produced this with a sense of intent and a sense of deliberateness, which I think is a key ingredient. Yeah. One okay. of the things I really wanted to to kind of gain a little bit of information from you on was, um, you know, like one of the things that I really took away from uh, from your talk at Island Tech was was heroes and mm -hmm. like how to kind of upgrade your heroes and one of the things that really interested me because I I thought you threw out some really great he heroes to have at, at the at the talk that you gave and I was afterwards I was like, how does Dave who, who makes it on this list? How does Dave compile these lists? I so uh, I, <laughs> I think you uh, you brought a little bit of notes for us. Yeah, just got to find the right uh, right page. Yeah, it's like yeah, if you don't have a, a notebook with you at all times and a shelf of notebooks at home, you're doing something horribly wrong as far as I'm uh, concerned. But the main thing that I started finding about the, the people that I was identifying with as heroes uh, is that they were interdisciplinary meaning that they didn't just operate in one thing. They weren't just a writer, they weren't just a painter, they weren't just a one thing or another. And it doesn't mean that you have to work in different mediums, but it meant that there was a, a richness and a consciousness beyond one, one train. You know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, I mentioned, you know, doing his confessions, he also wrote The Social Contract, which was a pivotal document of the French Revolution, the precursor to, uh, you know, the, the Bill of Rights in the United States, and this pivotal document that's shaped our entire human existence here in the Western modern world or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. But he was also um, this guy that was doing, you know, uh, prose in this kind of exploratory kind of uh, verse as well. You know, I went to the Van Gogh Museum the first time. I saw that, you know, I obviously 
you know, it's, it's, it's no secret that a lot of people like his paintings, but when you start to dig deeper in the story and everyone goes, oh, well, he had these, these problems. But then when I read his letters and you started to pay attention to the letters and the depth of his writing, the depth of the emotion that he was revealing in his letters with beautiful prose mm-hmm. uh, was, just, was just stunning to me. Uh, you know, uh, Henry David Thoreau, um, you know, he was like woodsman backcountry guy slash philosopher writing these works that, you know, he'd sold 100 copies of Walden when he died at 37. He was dead by the time he was my age, right? And he wrote this document that had to ferment for a hundred years before it went and changed the world. Yeah. Oh, you know, it has to it has to wait a little while. So interdisciplinary is a huge part of it. Um, now it also has to be people that sort of fit your own personal personality. And there's a couple, you know, traits in my life that always come up: a sense of explore, exploration and adventure, and a sense of sort of uh, renegade counterculture. Um, exploration. So in those categories, both those categories, you could get a, well, the first one, especially the sense of adventure, um, you know, even uh, the fictional cartoon character Tintin, the Belgian <laughs> yeah. cartoon. Yeah. Um, ever since I was a kid, I have, I have a definitive Tintin collection. I have Tintin in the Congo uncensored. Wow. I have Tintin in the land of the Soviets. I've, you know, I have all the rare stuff, but to me as a kid, this guy was awesome. And he still is because he settled conflicts with intelligence and generally nonviolence. And he was off traipsing around the world and exploring archaeology and history yeah. and intrigue and all these things. So it's fascinating to me. So he's totally on the list, right? The second one, you know, more of this renegade counterculture style, you know, a great example would be uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. The journalist and you know, I dressed up as Hunter S. Thompson for Halloween this year. <laughs> I cut my hair and did the whole thing when I shot and found the right glass and I had the cigarette holder. And I'm and I'm out to dinner and this guy at the table next to me is like, dude, I know who you are. You're Johnny Depp in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I'm like, yeah, dude, Hunter Thompson. Who? Yeah, dude, Fear and Loathing, man, I love that. Yeah, Hunter Thompson, he was the guy that Johnny Depp, yeah, Johnny Depp, man, that's, you know. Um, but the thing that I, was so incredible at Hunter Thompson, and I bring him up a lot because the guy always stayed employed um, no matter how much he messed up because the guy was solid at his craft, Yeah. you know, and he was always writing for whoever, wherever, you know, he finished his career writing for Sports Illustrated Online or ESPN Online rather. And, you know, this is this guy is really one of the pivotal political journalists of the 60s and 70s. He was the one that really made Jimmy Carter's presidential career relevant. You know, the guy did incredible stuff they never get, you know, credit for because the reputation as a party are overshadowed at all. Yeah. But he scratched below that surface and there was all this other incredible stuff that he was doing. And then in ESPN, the day after the 9-11 thing in, in happened down there in the States in 2001, he wrote what I think is still the best thing written about that entire incident. And he predicted the next 10 years. And if you go back and read his thing, we're like right along his pathway, the, right exactly how he line. predicted it. And he could run up $10,000 room service bills because at the end of the day, man, he killed it when it came down to sitting in front of the typewriter and busting it out. Um, so bam, he's on the hero list. Um, but it's not just historical, well-known people. You know, there's uh, a local musician named Jeff Burner who's totally made it on the list. He's a renegade, uh, renegade accordion. Well, I add the name renegade, but he's an accordion klezmer player. But he's this hilarious guy. Go see him live. He's got an accordion, a djembe drum, and a fiddle up on stage, right? The guy's got a cocktail in his hand. He's like Frank Sinatra with an accordion singing drunken, uh, you know, Jewish klezmer tunes. And out of some kind of like, you know, Quentin Tarantino should have had him soundtrack and Glorious Bastards kind of thing. He's just like, <laughs> this guy's come from another age. But the, so I got on, you know, I started following on stuff. 
And the guy goes on these epic tours through Scandinavia and through Europe and writes these incredible reports from the road about exploring diners and the importance of not eating at Tim Hortons when you're traveling across Canada. And he's out there and he's totally living the dream, but he's doing it with a freaking accordion, man. And it's not Weird Al Yankovic accordion, he's doing singer-songwriter stuff that's way out there as an accordion player. And it's like, wow, that's a guy that I, like is doing something just stunning to me. And there's other people like, um, you know, I have uh, a couple of friends that um, when I first was a, a high school dropout going to community college in Utah of all places, I felt like, you know, I, I was totally out of my element. I had gone from growing up in very multicultural Surrey to ending up in Utah for reasons I like, won't explain now. And I felt like just an alien landed in this place. And I met these two people that were hanging out in the arts and craft, the arts center, whatever they call it, the community college. This one girl, she's working on making uh, lost wax cast jewelry, and another guy was making pottery. And they were like people like me, experimenting with these art forms that have been for, around for thousands of years. And I would have never thought like, well, oh, I'm gonna go make ceramics. Yeah. I'm gonna go make some jewelry. That wasn't really my thing, because I'm a writer. And I realized like, wow, they're doing exactly what I'm doing. He's telling the stories through clay. She's telling the stories through jewelry. And I got to see them both again uh, a couple years ago. They came up to came out and surprised me at a party that I had thrown. And I, and, and, and to be able to look and see what they've created over the, the subsequent 20 years is remarkable to me because I know exactly where those seeds have started. So for me, I can look at them and see this test case of how they've developed, um, uh, you know, as, as artists and as and as human beings and how they're contributing to to society. And I don't mean this in a you know Leninist Marxist way per se, but I think all of us have an obligation to. Uh, provide something to move the human condition forward and you know to close that story the the, the girl uh, who was making the, the jewelry uh, she's gone on to be a uh, uh, what put herself through traditional Chinese medicine school now does acupuncture because you got to pay the bills right and but it's a beautiful thing she has this amazing healing energy about her right but it, you know this is a girl that I traveled on dead to her with and I saw in all kinds of difficult situations and she was always able to keep the chill and keep the and now she's able to translate that into to healing people. My buddy Marty, who is the, the potter, he's gone all over the world now doing uh, ceramics workshops, you know, China and Australia and done all these things. But now he's running an art program for one of these, um, like in Utah, if you get caught smoking or drinking a beer, your parents are sending one of these like reform, oh, yeah. reformery Reform school kind, kind of things. things. Yeah, like yeah. we'll take you out into the woods and we're going to take you to the <laughs> desert. And But he's now running an art program for one of these kind of organizations which baffles me because <clears throat> well he, he used you, to be he, one of those kids <laughs> or may still be uh, <laughs> but it's just really interesting to see how those stories come full circle and how you can use art to literally save lives and impact lives and make lives better which for me is something I really believe in the power of art you know for me mentally man I run it close to the edge sometimes and art's always what pulls me back you know from going out and carousing and getting into trouble man you know, pull out the paints, not the, uh, you know, not, not the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Like I said, thanks so much for kind of coming in and, and sharing some of your experiences with us. And I really hope uh, a lot of people out there can, can gain a lot of value from it. Well, it's my pleasure. I really think that these things are important to talk about because I feel like I never heard these things until I was much older. And I had to sort of create a lot of these things myself. And the more I think about it, the more people I meet who are thinking down the same path, which I think should be just an essential part of of our thinking as humans. So thank you for letting me talk about it. Definitely, definitely. <laughs>